He really is. He's definitely turned the youth program around. Appreciate all he's doing. That's the future of the church. Um, those are our, our most important evangelists. All evangelists are important, but those are the ones who are reaching the ripest uh, harvest that there is out there. And so keep them covered in prayer. As I've mentioned before a couple months ago, we're going to be uh, in this, this fall raising money to build a youth center. And we want to use it, among other things, as an outreach uh, just believing that God is going to give us hundreds and hundreds, thousands of young people. And uh, it'll be by dr- drawing them into a pond and using our youth group as a uh, mighty army of God and uh, reaching them, praise God. So keep them in prayer and be thinking about this fall uh, as we're um, going to be stewarding our resources in that direction. We're going to now take up an offering. This is also part of worship. We ascribe worth to God, not just by what we sing and by what we say, but by what we do and and what we do with what He's given us. Uh, it's, it's how the kingdom of God goes forward. It's, it's through the sacrifice of His people. And He really does leverage the kingdom on this. The things don't get done unless we have a heart to do it. And so I pray that God will be moving in our hearts to uh, give us kingdom value. also want to pray for the message as it goes forward. Can I get some people in the congregation? We'll just keep covering me in prayer. You can listen to what is said over in this room, over this side. A couple more, a couple more. Need a little balancer. Okay, keep me covered in prayer. Let's pray. Father, it is uh, an opportunity, it is a privilege that you give us to do something that is of eternal significance with the blessing that you've given to us. We know, Lord, that among the peoples of the world, we are among the most blessed. And to whom much is given, much is required. So, Lord, our prayer is that you would be moving in our hearts to give us kingdom vision and kingdom values and kingdom priorities, Lord. Uh, Lord, that we would ascribe worth to you by how we steward our resources, Lord, and that your kingdom would get done and that finances would never be an obstacle to that. Lord, we pray that you'd guide the leaders of the church to steward these resources wisely. And then, Lord, also we pray that this message would go forward with your authority and with your power to bring the encouragement and possibly the healing that you, need, that you know needs to be done. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Also want to just remind you that tonight we have Heart of the Cities uh, that, uh, celebration, a, uh, a ministry that unites the Church of the Twin Cities along denominational and racial and social lines, and we encourage you to be a part of that. That starts at 6 o'clock here. Also want to just say that if you didn't make it to our, our 70s dance last week, you really missed a good time. Wasn't that a good time? Uh, you... <laughs> Among other things, you missed me doing the mechanical man. I mean, I, I do a... Ow. So it was a lot of fun. I'm still sore from that. I, uh, in, the, in the nine and a half years that Woodland Hills Church has been going, I've never had a time where I've been away from, from the pulpit for three weeks. And I appreciate this, this break that I have gotten. I was doing some other ministries and whatnot, but it turns out I really needed it. I... Uh, I didn't plan this, but I, it was just kind of a recuperating time for me. I appreciate uh, Richard Coleman uh, delivering the word, and then I appreciate Tony Campolo. Isn't that guy a stitch? Now, he reminds me of like a Christian Don Rickles. You know, like he's always been my favorite preacher. I can't believe, you know, he was talking about how difficult it is to preach to a predominantly white congregation, and believe me, he's got a point. Uh, I, I, I've uh, preached at a number of African-American churches, and, and you, you, you get in a rhythm, and they just pull it out of you, and 
you know, uh, it's, it's something else. Uh, white folks are a little more reserved, and we can change that, amen? All right. And here's a start. If someone says amen during a sermon, don't tell them to be quiet. That's okay. That happens here. I'm trying to listen. That's an okay thing, okay? That's an okay thing, all right? And then he says to a brother in the front row, we got to de-honkify this congregation. I can't believe you said that. <laughs> de-honkify. So we got a new slogan for our church. Instead of tearing down walls, let's just say setting out to de-honkify. How's that? <laughs> okay, all right. But see, you know, the, the thing I love about Tony Campolo is, is uh, just his freedom. Uh, he is who he is. He says what he thinks. He steps on some toes, but you know what? Let's get over that. Okay, let's just deal with that. Uh, you're not going to agree with everything he says, but, but uh, you know, there, there's just a freedom there. There's a realness there that I just really appreciate. Plus, the guy is so funny. I just uh, love his humor and the way he combines it with the word. Now, this is, I'm starting to back into my message here, okay? Uh, a few people asked me, um, you know, Tony has this, this Star Trek idea about the timelessness of the cross and whatnot. And I was saying amen to everything he was saying because it was wonderful. But a few people who have maybe read some of my books and know some of my theology, they know that I, I, I push Einstein's theory of relativity in a very different direction than he does. And um, so they were wondering, am I okay with uh, Tony Campolo being up here giving a theory that's different than my theory? You know, does that bother me? They were worried for me. Not a, a couple people talked to me. One of them was worried. And, and the answer is this, that you can't believe how okay I am with that. I'm more than okay with that. I'm, I, I delight in that. That's wonderful. You see, we, we've got to uh, get okay in the body of Christ with different perspectives, different points of view. Uh, you know, if we're going to get nervous about how we interpret Einstein's theory of relativity, we're really in trouble. Uh, you know, we need enough unity in the body of Christ, enough, enough central beliefs to get a job done, when the job is to build the kingdom of God. But we also need enough diversity to appreciate the diversity of God's creation. You know, I think God sometimes makes things a little bit ambiguous on purpose, so we've got to figure it out, and we're going to figure it out in different ways. And see, that actually helps us learn how to love one another amidst our differences. If we all agreed on every point, crossed every T the exact same way, dotted every I in the exact same way, we'd probably end up loving our agreement instead of each other. But what God wants is a, a people who are able to love one another amidst our different perspectives. And we can talk about it, and we can debate it, and we can even get on some controversial subjects. And it's in, in, the, in those kinds of situations that we really learn how to love one another amidst our diversity. There is... I'm still backing into my message. I, I have been, I will be honest with you, in this message I'm going to be very honest with you. I, I, I made a covenant with the church nine years ago that I will always be honest. And, and maybe in this one I'm going to be a little too honest. But I have been struggling somewhat lately uh, with, with, well primarily with the church. Not this church, but the church at large. It seems to me that there is a demon of anal retentiveness that I want to cast out. I, I haven't located the verse for that yet, but, I, but it's got to be there. There's just an uptightness. Um, you know, some of you have heard about what happened to Wayne Peterson and the radio broadcasters things. and Stuff like that just makes me cynical. 
Uh, you know, it's like if you don't see things exactly as I see them and agree with me on every point, well, then you must not be a true Christian or there's something wrong with you and we've got to censor you. I was last week at a debate. In fact, I was the debate. I, I was uh, debating an atheist down in Kansas. Um, his name is Massimo Piliuri or something like that. I butchered his name the entire debate and I'm still butchering it. But he's this Italian uh, scholar, a brilliant man, just... He's an atheist, and we were debating the existence of God and the basis of morality and things like that. And I love doing that kind of thing. I went down to this debate, and before the debate, I was praying for him. Behind the curtain, I was just praying, and as I often do when I'm praying for him, I was picturing this like uh, uh, spotlight on him, and that was just a spotlight of God's love and God's blessing, and I was praying that God would just be working in his life and in his family and would somehow use this dialogue that we're going to have to, if possible, plant a seed and bring them one step closer to Him. And, and, and as I was praying that, as often happens, you'll find this when you pray for people and picture them in your mind and see God's love coming on them. God expands your heart. He just stretches your heart. And I found that as I was praying for Massimo, my heart was expanded towards Him. And God gave me a little slice of His love for Him. And I fell in love with the guy. Now, I also like the guy. I mean, I think he's got a cool personality. He's, he's fun. He's witty. Um, you know, he's just the kind of person I'd like to hang around. But I, I, on top of that, I had a, a burden for the guy and a genuine love for the worth that he has before God. And during the debate, it was a wonderful debate. We dialogued. We learned from one another. We didn't have our egos on the line. We weren't posturing. We were just, as I said out loud in this debate, we're two fallible, uh, finite human beings who are uh, trying to figure this thing out. We're trying to both be honest with the evidence. We're trying to learn from one another. We're letting you folks listen in. That's what the, the, the debate really was. And in fact, we did learn from one another. I, this guy's an expert on social evolutionary biology, and, and I learned some things about chimpanzees I never knew, about their, their, their behavior and tribes and or herds, whatever they are, and uh, some things about the brain. It was a very informative, stimulating, witty uh, dialogue. We had fun. We laughed sometimes. There was times where we got a little bit heated. Um, but but it, was, it was always done with a sense of love and respect. Now, afterwards... And this seems like a self-serving report about a compliment, but, but hear me out, it's not. Afterwards, I was surrounded by some people, and among them were these kids from this Free Thinkers Association. I forget what the group is called. It's kind of like the atheist counterpoint to Campus Crusade for Christ. What would you call that? Campus Crusade for Non-Christ or, or nothingness. I don't know. But uh, they're found on different campuses, universities throughout, throughout America. And there were some students that were from this group and they were asking questions. And three of them said this. They said, you know, because of this debate, we just want you to know that we're going to give Christianity, for the first time in our life, we're going to give Christianity a serious look. Now, that was good. That was good. Yeah. But I was wondering, um, in fact, one of them took me aside a little later on and says, I'm really interested in learning what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And I love this. This is why I like to do this sort of thing. But I was wondering, was it, was it my, my, my cool refutation of the view that if, you, if all your thoughts are, are neurologically determined, then you can't think a true thought because chemical reactions can't be true? Was that the argument that really won you over? Which, which of my stellar arguments really clinched the case for you? And they said, well, it wasn't any of your arguments, really. Uh, well, we think you guys kind of hit a stalemate, which we think was good because Massimo is kind of one of our heroes. But, but, but it, was, it, was, it was really kind of a draw. You both made points and you both lost points. Well, then I, and I asked, well, then what was it that really made you want to take give Christianity a serious consideration? And they said this. Now, 
I'm told by the, the Christian uh, leader of campus ministries there that 80% of this uh, campus is Christian. And that's why I was saddened to hear this. They said, because you were the first Christian that we've ever seen debate uh, or even dialogue with a non-Christian that showed love and respect and was willing to say, I don't know. And you know, I, I'm happy that they saw that, but my heart sunk. You're on a campus that has 80%, and maybe they were exaggerating, maybe their experience is myopic, I don't know, but that's their perception. They've got no motive to color that. And it's sad that on a college campus where there's 80% Christians, this was the first time they saw love and respect demonstrated towards an outsider. There's something, this is what I'm struggling with, there's something seriously, seriously wrong about this. You know, Jesus said in John 17 that He prayed this prayer, Father, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. Father, I pray that the relationship we have, they would have. What we've got vertically, they would have horizontally. In other words, He's saying, Father, I pray that they would embody who You are, the triune love of God. And then He said this, Father, I pray that, that, that they would be one as we are one so that the world might know that You have sent Me. The love, it's the love, folks, that tells the world that, that God is real. In fact, it, it ought to be this way, that as they look at the body of Christ, they just see it. They don't need argument. They don't need commentary. They just see the triune God. See, it, it's when they see the reality that they're, they're, that they're led into the reality. The case with these three atheist kids was a case in point. They saw a little bit of love there, and that, that is what drew them in. It wasn't the argument. It is by our love that the world knows that Jesus Christ is for real. It's not by our good arguments. It's not by our debating skills. It's not by our, the fact that we're right on every point. It's not by the fact that we can pass out tracts or do good works or this, that, or the other thing. It's by our love, period. Amen. And God, you see, God will use other means. But if it's not surrounded by, undergirded by, uh, just... It, immersed in love, it is nothing. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? You can have all the best arguments in the world. You can be the brightest person in the world. You can know your Bible verses all backward and forward. You can do all the good works. You can give your body to be burned. But if you don't have love, it is trash. It's just trash. The devil, the devil knows more Bible than you and I ever will. He knows every theological point. He knows all of that, but it doesn't do a bit of good. Why? Because he doesn't have love. What it tells us is this. You know, when, when, we're, when we're in a debate, when we're in a dialogue, when we're trying to tell someone something, if you can't in your heart of hearts love them, and if you can't uh, put aside uh, uh, the, the need to be right and to, and to make a good show of it, if you can't genuinely love them, then do the kingdom of God a favor and don't say anything. You know, because uh, clanging cymbals, sounding brass, Paul says, it doesn't do anything to further the kingdom of God. The thing that is core, the thing that is essential is love. Above all things, it is love. The task of living the Christian life, really, when you boil it down to it, is so simple. It's about love. It's about love. It's about expanding your heart. It's about self-sacrificial love. I've been, I've been, the last several weeks, and actually I think it's been encroaching on me the last, I'm still backing into my message here, by the way. I've been in a funk. You ever go into a funk? I've been in a funk. Several weeks ago, I think my wife saw me more depressed than she's ever seen me. I, I just—I was in a funk. Um, I, I'm coming out of it. Uh, you know, things are looking up. But I, I was in a serious funk, and, and it had to do uh, with a number of things. But it, my weakest point is always cynicism. 
And I just started to get very cynical about the Christian church at large. Uh, the, 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 uh, the lack, the lack, the lack of what is essential, the, the, the lack of the love. And one of the questions I ask is this, God, what were you thinking? Uh, you know, you said that, we, that the world will know that you are for real because of our love. The way the body of Christ can love one another and the way, the way that the body of Christ can, can, can love the world. And uh, that's, that's supposed to be our main selling point. But I look around and I, I, honestly, when I see the kind of controversies that get made public, like what's happening with Wayne Peterson and, and the way we, we, we try to settle theological disputes and the way we treat one another when we disagree about minor points. It's like, God, it's not like we struck out once. It's like we struck out 27 times in a nine-inning game. Uh, it's not even coming close. I mean, it's not like, like it's a sort of a difference only between us and the world. I don't see much difference at all. And I, cynicism encroaches in on me and my heart begins to sink. And you begin to ask yourself questions like, what is really real? What do you really believe? Let's shave it down to the core essentials. The sad truth is this. I felt far more love debating Massimo on the existence of God than I have usually felt dialoguing about the ontological status of possibilities with other Christians. And that is very, very, very sad. Very sad. And so I've wrestled with it. I got into a funk. You've been in a funk. You know what a funk is? I don't mean funky like the 70s dance. That's a good kind of funk. You know, but I'm talking about a, uh, just you getting knotted up. Your head gets a little bit screwed up. Your feelings get all deranged. It, it's the kind of time where you start to feel tired. You're always tired. My wife began to worry about me. I was sleeping seven and eight hours a night, if you can believe it. It's like, ah, something's seriously wrong with this guy. And, you know, my writing began to dry up. Uh, the only time I really felt... I felt normal was when I was preaching. And that's just a testimony to God's faithfulness and honoring His Word. I felt normal. But otherwise, I always felt kind of blah. It's the kind of feeling where you want to just sit in front of the boob tube and eat a bunch of ho-hos. You know, all day long, you know. And maybe you do that and, and, and uh, then you gain 10 pounds, which helps you get further into the funk. You know, it's just a cycle kind of a thing. You get apathetic about things you used to get passionate about. You know, you just feel like a blob. You just don't feel like doing anything. Getting out of bed sometimes is, is maybe difficult in the morning. You go into a funk. And things that used to be clear aren't clear anymore. And you got all these questions. You're perplexed. You feel like you're cast down. It's a funk. And we handle funks in different ways. Some of us eat whole hose and just sort of try to sleep it off. Other people compulsively sleep. They sleep all day long or they try to sleep all day long. Some people, you know, drink too much or some people start smoking too much or some people uh, start masturbating addictively or some people go shopping addictively. And we're always trying to medicate the pain that we're in. You know, funk. It's a bona fide funk. And see, with this series, we've been talking about passion. We've been talking about passion. So the question I want to ask right now, and now I'm into my message, is... What is it to live a passionate life when you're in a funk? How do you deal with a funk? You've been through one. You maybe are in one, and, and you're going to probably go through one in the future. So how do you deal with a funk? Let me read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> how do you ride out the storm? How do you get back in the game? How do you begin to get the passion back? 2 Corinthians 4. I love the fact that Paul got into funks. We have this treasure in clay jars, he says. By the way, this is the verse that, that, that song that we sang, I'm trading my sorrows, I'm, I'm uh, crushed, or I'm 
cast down but not defeated. It comes from this verse. And Norm didn't know I was going to preach on this when I... Uh, when he, when he chose the songs. We have this treasure in clay jars. Now, now, what Paul's getting at here is this. In the ancient world, they didn't have security deposit box or banks. So what do you do when you've got something precious? Well, what you do is you hide it. And the most typical way to hide it from thieves who could easily break into the house because they didn't you know, have good locks back then is you, you uh, make a, a clay jar, a very ordinary looking jar, and you put the uh, precious thing in there. And you have a lot of these clay jars in your house, so a thief would have to steal all the clay jars to figure out which one has got the jewel in it. So you hide the treasure in a clay jar. And that's what God does with us. You never know it by looking at this clay jar that there's a treasure inside. But there is. So we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power, the power of the treasure, belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed. Thank you, Paul, for saying that. He got perplexed. Perplexed can't figure this thing out. We really haven't got it all figured out just yet. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. So we do not lose heart when you're in a funk. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, it is. Our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Think about it. Because we do not look at what can be seen, but what it cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. Let me bring three points out of this passage that will help us deal with a funk. Point number one is this. Paul got in a funk. Moses got in a funk. Elisha got in a funk. So it must be pretty normal to get into a funk. If you're in a funk, don't think that you're weird. You're pretty normal. Now, I mean, you know, maybe you're pretty weird for a lot of other reasons, but the fact that you're in a funk isn't one of them. That's a pretty normal thing. Clay jars go through funks. I mean, clay jars, we're very iffy, we're very fickle. You know, we're, uh, what we think is based on a bunch of neurons popping in our head and uh, a bunch of chemicals going off in our body, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't work so good. Our clay jars are very sensitive, so it's not that abnormal to go into a funk. Paul was in something of a fl- funk. He was cast down, he felt afflicted, he felt persecuted, he got perplexed, he got confused. Maybe sometimes he said, God, what were you thinking? But he remembered that he had that treasure in the clay jar. You're not on for going through a funk. Most of the heroes of the Bible, these, these magnificent people of faith that we look to, at one time or other went into a funk. You look at Numbers chapter 11. Uh, Moses. I love Moses. Moses is so real. And that's true about most of the great leaders in the Bible. Moses is just a real guy. And so Moses leads the children out of, out of Egypt with the ten plagues. Hooray, hooray, miracle time. And Moses leads the children of Israel through the Red Sea. Hooray, hooray, miracle time. And Moses then has manna coming down from heaven. Hooray, hooray, miracle time. And you think, man, Moses is on a roll. He's up. He's doing good. He's, he's, he's more than a conqueror. Hallelujah. Thank you. Jesus. Yahweh. But then in Numbers 11, Moses goes to the Lord. And see, the people of Israel are starting to complain again. And it's an encouragement to my heart that uh, the modern times aren't the first time that the people of God at large have been a source of consternation to leaders. Uh, They were to Moses. And Moses, they started complaining. 
you know, God's given them supernatural manna, this bread from heaven, and they start saying, why can't we diversify the meal a little bit? I mean, some mashed potatoes with some, uh, co- you know, kosher salt would be really, really nice. And, and uh, you know, how about some quails? What about some meat? How about some steak? Like God's going to send cows down from heaven. And then they'd complain because they're getting crushed. I mean, you can't win here. So they're complaining, 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 complaining. And Moses goes to the Lord in Numbers 11 and he says, Lord, Lord, basically, what were you thinking? (laughs) What were you thinking? Uh, These are my people. I didn't choose them. I didn't call them. I didn't rear them. I didn't nurse them. I didn't lead them. This is your gig. And if you want me to lead this, this is what he says. If you want me to lead this, kill me now. Kill me now. I've had enough. You know, please, in fact, he says, Lord, if you really love me, kill me now. Okay, this guy was in a serious funk. He, he just, uh, you know, the Lord used it to teach him some things and to give him some, some help and, and whatnot. But this, he knew what it was to go into a funk, and so it is with most of the great leaders in the Bible. Elijah, you know, great, great victory on Mark Carmel. Uh, you can read about it in Second Kings. Fire comes down from heaven and yada, yada, yada. And then right afterwards, Jezebel is trying to get him, so he runs away and hides in a cave and he goes into a pit. He gets into a funk. And he, pray, he basically says something quite similar to what Moses says. Lord, what were you thinking? Uh, if, if this is, I, I'm all alone here. I'm all alone here. Oftentimes, funks come on us when we think we're alone. And he says, Lord, will you just take me now? He says, I'm no better than my ancestors, which is a way of saying I'm as good as dead. So why don't you just take me? Let's quit while we're ahead. Take me now. They knew what it was to go through funks. And Jeremiah is the same way. Ezekiel's the same way. You've got Job. You've got David. Read some of the Psalms. You've got Solomon with the, 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 the Ecclesiastes. I mean, you read that book. This guy, he, he knew what a funk was. That whole book is like one big funk. You know, vanity, vanity, futile, futile. There's no meaning to anything. You know, that's how it seems when you're in a funk. When you're going through a funk, know this. You're not that weird. Now, the problem is that there's sort of in this culture this idea that Christianity is always supposed to be up, 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 and joy, 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 happy, 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 wonderful, 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 better roses all the time, you know, just uh, more than conquerors, victory in Jesus, rejoice always, and yada, 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 yada. Bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. And, and if, if you're not walking in that, what's wrong with you? Aren't you spiritual enough? You got sin in your life. Yeah. I, um, I bet you do. <laughs> but see, we, we, this is why the world thinks that, that, that evangelical Christians, anyways, they often see us as Ken dolls and Barbie dolls, who are just sort of Hallmark people and. I see, here's. Christianity's not supposed to be a happy club. It's a real club, all right? And real people have ups and they have downs. I'm sorry. And, you know, judge me if you want. I'm, I, I'll, I'll beat you to the punch. I'm not spiritual enough, you know? And, and, and maybe, you know, maybe I, I, I should be more spiritual. I don't doubt that. But listen, me and Paul and Moses are going to sit in front of the t- t- TV and have a couple of ho-hos here, all right? And you can judge us if you want. You have your own little happy club party. You see... It's part of life. It's part of the war zone. Now, now, this isn't the last word to be said, but just know that going through the funk is not... Don't make it bigger than it is. Now, there may be warfare, and there may be things that you did that brought this on, or maybe God's orchestrating it to teach you some reason, and a lot of times we don't have a clue as to how they come. So all of a sudden you wake up and you're in a funk. You know, uh, 
Uh, and, and so you may have to do some spiritual warfare. You know, you may have to do some prayer and whatnot. But the fact that you're going through the funk and that you're not walking on cloud nine all the time does not mean that you're not a genuine Christian. Don't make it bigger than it is. It's just part of the ordinary war zone that we are a part of. Second point, remember the treasure. Remember the treasure. You're feeling the impact of the, of the, of the clay jar right now, but remember the treasure. Paul was afflicted, but he was not crushed because he remembered the treasure. He was persecuted, but not forsaken because he remembered the treasure. He was perplexed, but not in despair, and he carried the death of Jesus. It just means he felt like he was carrying a crucifix, but he also carried the life of Jesus because he remembered the treasure. What is the treasure? The treasure is just the core truth that it's all about, that Christianity is all about. It's the, the truth of the gospel. It's the truth that you know who God is because He's been uh, once and for all decisively revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. And it's the truth that because of who God is, you know who you are. And it's the truth that because you know who God is and who, knew you, who, who you are, you know where you're going. That's the treasure. And there comes times in life where for one reason or another, everything else may get shaved off of you. It may go away. You're, you're here, you're here uh, the clay jar is really starting to fall apart. But in those times, remember the treasure. Look at the treasure. Stand on the treasure. Make that be your rock. Make that, that be your fortress. You see, when all else fails, I don't know about you, but often it feels to me like life is just incredibly fickle. Incredibly fickle. It comes, it goes. Do you ever have this thing where you're driving on the highway and all of a sudden it occurs to you that if you just turned your arm six inches, two inches, you'd be dead and they'd be dead. It's like, whoa, it's so fickle. Okay, you all think I'm very weird for that, don't you? But I, it's like, what, one little move, one little move, that's all it would take. It, it's so, it seems so cheap sometimes. And you wonder, what can you count on? What can you depend on? What can you stand on? You know, and, and some of you know that, it, that it's not necessarily relationships. Oh, they may seem solid, but some of you have had those bottom out on you. Clay jars can be fickle. And some of you know that it maybe isn't job employment. And some of you know that maybe isn't the fairness. Some of you Somalians know that it's not necessarily the, the fairness and the justice of a society that you're in. You maybe can't count on that. And, and maybe you can't even count on the marriage that you're in. And maybe you can't count on the health that you have. I, one of the things that has kind of been bugging me is that several months ago, the doctor said they, they looked at my knee. I had this bum knee lately. And, and he says, you really probably shouldn't run on that. And, and, and I, sh I should be happy that I could run the marathons I ran and I had the time with my daughter that I had uh, and that I can walk. A lot of people can't walk. But you know what? It still is a bummer when your clay jar fails you. And I was looking forward to doing some more marathons. I was getting back into it. And so they find out you can't run and so you start eating ho-hos and that means you start putting on weight and that starts to bug in. I haven't exercised much at all in six months and that's starting to irritate me. It's Funkville. You know, that, that's, but you can't count on the health. It's just not there. The, the world sometimes is like an ocean of flux of perpetual waves and there's nothing that's really solid. Which is why the Bible tells us to get our life in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Amen. He's the treasure. He's the treasure. It is, incidentally, if I can just say this, it's when we stop getting life from Jesus Christ and start getting it from our theology that we think we know about Jesus Christ and all the theological truths. It's when we do that, when we transfer our life from Christ to the idol of our rightness, that we stop loving the people that we're talking about. That's why we need to be getting life from Jesus Christ and nothing but Jesus Christ, which means everything else is negotiable. Sometimes in the storm, sometimes in the funk, 
when things are all just topsy-turvy and, and, and you can't see straight and you can't feel straight, just hang on to the treasure. Look at the treasure. Savor the treasure. Eat the treasure. Just... And it doesn't mean that you feel the treasure, like you feel, you know, saved and you feel loved and you feel, you know, filled with the Spirit. If you don't get anything else from the sermon, get this. Don't give your feelings the authority of the Word of God. Because feelings are chemical. Feelings are responses to your thought. They're not responses to reality. Uh, feelings can be affected by too little testosterone, too much testosterone, too little estrogen, too much estrogen, and a bunch of other chemicals too. They come, they go, they're up, they're down, they're back, they're forward. They will screw you up royally if you listen to them. You know, I thank God for feeling. When you feel God, praise God for that. But in the middle of a funk, don't trust the feeling. You don't have to, you know, you can feel forsaken, but you've got to know that you're not forsaken. And you can feel abandoned, but you've got to know that you're not abandoned. And maybe you feel like you've got no worth, but you've got to know that in Jesus Christ you've got all the worth in the world. And you, maybe you won't feel like God's living within you, so what? You know the treasure, and he, the treasure is in you. And His name is Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't go by the feeling. Hallelujah. That's why the Bible says to, 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 set your, to fix your eyes, set your faith on Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12, 2. Fix your eyes, your spiritual eyes. See Jesus in, in all that you know to be true about Him. In the Word of God, fix your eyes. See Him. Hear His words of love towards you. Even if you don't feel it, fix your eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on the feelings. Don't fix your eyes on the circumstances. That's here, that's there, that's up, that's down. You fix your eyes on Jesus. For the Bible says He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's solid. He's a rock at Gibraltar. You can stand on Him. Praise God. Paul says in, in, in Colossians 3 to set your, uh, uh, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. Okay? You, you look at what can be seen. Uh, uh, locate your mind there. Know the truth. Uh, fix that. Engrave that in, in stone in your mind. Know what is true about you. And picture it in your mind. And Paul says in, in the passage we read earlier, he says we don't look to what can be seen. What can be seen is temporary. And it's fickle. It's as the philosophers say, contingent. It's iffy. You know, it, 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 it's quicksand. Don't fix your eyes on what can be seen. If you can see it, don't trust it. Well, trust your spouse. But, but uh, uh, you know, I, I mean, but, but, but don't make it a source of life for you. If you can see it, it's not going to last forever. It's what you can't see. It's what you can't see with the natural, but you can see in the spirit. Lately, one of the things that's been contributing to a little bit of the funk I've been going through is my dad is just in a bad way. He's... You know, he's 84, and his, his clay jar is really getting old. And um, he, he uh, is now in a nursing home. Um, and one of the, he, can't see, he can't see hardly at all. He can't hear hardly at all. He can't walk anymore. They're trying to do physical therapy to give him walking back because that's the only way he's going to get out of the nursing home. He doesn't have much use of his arms. Uh, he, his thoughts get confused. He has trouble speaking. He just doesn't have a lot going for him. And to make it worse... Uh, for a variety of reasons, we, we put them in a Jewish nursing home. Uh, it's a wonderful nursing home, and they've got great physical therapy and wonderful care, but they serve kosher food. And my dad hates the stuff. I mean, he, this is a guy who's always loved red, juicy steaks, and, and, and draining all the blood out just ain't going to happen. It's just not going to work. And so and the, that's the one thing he had to look forward to. He can't do much of anything else. You know, he looks forward to the meal, and they bring him this stuff, and he says, tastes like cardboard. What's with these people? You know, what kind of religion is this? They starve people to death. <laughs> and so it's just kind of me. And so I, I have to 
this is a secret now, but I, I have to sneak in Burger Kings. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm breaking a rule, all right? Cut me some slack here. It's justified. My dad's starving to death. You know, so, so lesser of two evils. So I, I sneak in a burger. He, he's always loved Burger Kings. He's addicted to Burger Kings. He's like, gobbles them up. But you know, it's just a sad thing. And, and, and I, I, was ta- I get there as often as I can, and I was just talking to him. Uh, and uh, you have to kind of shout very slowly in his ear for him to hear you. But I just said, Dad, you know what? He, he just sits. He just can't do much of anything. And um, I said, Dad, as long as you're sitting here, you know, yeah, he, you already know you're my prayer warrior, right? Pray for me. But also, just, why don't you just fix your eyes on Jesus, your spiritual eyes. Your, your physical eyes can go blind, but you know what? Your spiritual eyes still can see. And set your mind on things above. And why don't you just dream about heaven? Let's talk about heaven here. And, and kind of develop a longing for home. And, and so we started talking about heaven and who we're going to see. My mom's going to be there. And, and, uh, and, and, and the people we're going to meet. And the Lord that we're going to, you know, whose presence we'll enter into and we'll see face to face. And you think about the body that you're going to have there. Because, see, Dad, it, it, the way God originally intended the creation, it didn't include this. This wasn't part of the original plan. This is a part of the war zone. It's not part of the original plan. But someday God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's think about that. Let's fix our eyes on that. Let's chew that. Let's savor that. And all he did, he began to cry as we were talking about this. And all you could say was, yeah, boy, yeah, boy, oh, yeah, boy. And so now he, he, he just spends the day dreaming about heaven and, 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 and thinking about Jesus, the one thing that is permanent, that, that will never leave you or forsake you. Remember the treasure. You have it in, in, in an earthen vessel. You have it in a clay jar. Uh, sometimes you've got to get your eye off the clay to get your eye on the treasure. And to lay hold of it and to stand on it and to be unmoved. Whatever feelings you have, whatever weird thoughts you may have, whatever circumstances you find you're in, hang on to Jesus. Fix your eyes there. And, 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 and picture Him. Hear Him in all of His love and all of His beauty. And you know what? In time, in time, you're going to start to feel a response to that. It may be a while, but, but you're wired to respond to what your mind says is real. And as you, as you just say, this is real. I believe this. I hear this. I see this. You picture them in color, color holding you. Uh, in time, the feeling begins to come back. But don't follow the feeling. Follow Jesus. The third and final point I'll close with this is this. Remember, it's normal. You're pretty normal to go through the funk. Remember the treasure when you're going through the funk. And the third thing is this. Look for God's leading in the middle of the funk. Look for God's leading. Look for God's leading. Paul says this in verse 17. He says, This slight momentary affliction. Wait, stop there for a second. Paul says it's a slight momentary affliction. You're talking about a guy who was imprisoned, I think, four times. He was beaten four times. He was uh, almost killed by a mob at least twice. Um, He was, uh, uh, you know, his life was on the line quite a bit. Went through a lot of hardships. Uh, was eventually put in, put in uh, uh, house, house arrest and was executed. He says these slight momentary, tra-la-la-la-la-la, these slight momentary afflictions. Now see, this, this, this is the perspective of somebody who knows the treasure. You see, someone who looks at all of life from the perspective of the treasure, from the perspective of its eternal steadfastness. And when you consider eternity and what we're really uh, being prepared for, every, every affliction, however grievous, however bad, however terrible it may be, it is compared to eternity now. Not trying to minimize it, but compared to eternity, seen from an eternal perspective, it is slight and momentary. 
And all of a sudden caught our signer from the bottom of my eye, and I wonder, how are you doing? <laughs> uh, that's got to be tough. <laughs> I get going, he's like, sprain your finger, you know. You're doing great. I don't know how you do it. Speed signing. From the perspective of eternity, it's slight and momentary. But he says this, these slight and momentary afflictions are preparing us for an eternal, eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Paul looked at the things he was going for, through and he said, God, you know, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? doesn't mean that God causes it. I don't think God caused the riots and the beatings and the whippings, but God uses it. He's an infinitely intelligent God who from all eternity has seen this possibility and was preparing for it. So when it happens, boom, he knows what to do with it. And so he says, okay, Paul, I'm going to use this to further prepare you, to refine you, to equip you for this eternal weight of glory that I have for you. Look for God's leading in the circumstances you're going through. It may be that the circumstance is absolutely something that's, that, that's, that's originated from the enemy. Or maybe it was your own stupidity. Or maybe it was the, the evil intents of somebody else. Or maybe it's just the chemicals going on in your body. I mean, who knows what the ultimate cause is, and it really doesn't matter. Because whatever it is, and sometimes God Himself. Can, I think the funk I've been going through is partly God Himself bringing it on me for a reason. But whatever, whether He's the one who causes it or not, He can always use it. In all things, the Bible says, Romans 8.28, in all things, not just the happy times, but in all things, God's working together for the better, for those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose. doesn't mean that God causes all things, but in all things, however bad they may be, He's teaching us stuff. Some of, the, some of the leaders of the Bible, the heroes of the Bible, they learn the most important lessons through suffering, through afflictions, through hardships. God is so resourceful at using the manure of this war zone to refine us. And this, this thing that I've been going through, one of the things He's done is He's, he's, he's crystallized some things in my head. Uh, a picture of what the kingdom's supposed to be and how very, very different it is from American churchianity. Uh, and, 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 and that's going to make an impact on me, okay? It's going to impact how I preach. I, I see things a little more clearly now. There's other theological ideas and convictions that he's been kind of refining there. He, he's using the fire to, to burn off the dross. And that's what he'll do in all of our lives if we'll work with him on it. Another thing that happened was quite surprising to me. But as I've been going through this, um, I, I, I really began to discern, and this caught me very much off guard, and my wife, but I feeling like the Lord was saying, Greg, it's time. It's time to let go of Bethel. I've been teaching at Bethel full time all the while we started the church and whatnot. And I've always seen myself as a professor. I mean, from the time God first called me to ministry, I've seen myself as a professor. It's hard for me to picture myself not being a professor. And yet I felt like the Lord was saying, time to let it go. Now, see, the deal here is that I've got a, I always knew that this would probably come to an end at some point, but we have a three-year plan. Yeah, we're going to wait till our daughters got out of school. And there's some very practical reasons for that. And we've got a very rational plan, and everything was nice and order. And God, don't you upset this. But see, as the Lord was working, and I know I'm dealing with some of this stuff here, it became uh, very clear that the Lord was saying, it's time to let it go now. But it's not practical. But this is, this is, this is Lord, what are you thinking? But see, one of the things I find is that the more you argue with God, the more miserable you get. <laughs> Isn't that true? And out of love, He makes you miserable. In fact, did you ever have this happen to you where the minute you say, Lord, are you asking this of me? The, obvious is so, the, the, the answer is so obvious, you realize He's been telling you that for a year, but you've been ignoring Him. And it's kind of like, are you, are you, you're not saying this, are you? And all, you really, all of a sudden you realize it was like background noise. He, 
He was always bugging you about it. But see, you've got a plan. I've got my life schedule here. You know, don't upset it. Let's be practical here. Let's use some common sense. And the Lord says, time to let it go. And trust me for the rest. Time to walk on water. And, and I, I, I made this decision two weeks ago. Let it go. So I offered up my resignation this last week. And man, it lifted. It lifted. It's like, whoa. Okay, that's what I was supposed to do. I, I, amen. In the midst of the storm, you know, no, don't make it bigger than it is. Uh, don't minimize it, but don't make it bigger than it is. It's a pretty normal thing. Remember the treasure and look for the hand of God to be teaching you stuff. There's always stuff to learn. God can always turn it towards your, advan- your, your advantage if you'll work with Him on it, if you'll yield. If you'll yield. Let me ask two questions here. Number one, and with the saints of God be praying, is there anybody here who wants to get that treasure in the, in the clay jar? You're a clay jar. But see, that's all you are unless you ask the treasure to come in. And the Bible makes it so easy. you just got to ask. And I'd like to lead you in this prayer, if you would. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and asked Him to come in and destined you for heaven, would you just raise your hand very quickly? And I'll call on you. I'll just recognize you from up here, and I'm going to pray for you from up here. Raise your hand very high. We had a number of people in the last service who did. And possibly there's someone here who just says, Praise the Lord. Wonderful. Brother, sister, wonderful. Over here. Anybody else? Want to join these folks? You say, you know what? I need Jesus. In the back there, in the middle, wonderful young lady, praise the Lord. Young man, praise the Lord. Uh, wonderful. This soul rejoices the heart of God. You say, you know what? I want that treasure. I, I, maybe you're going through a storm right now and you need that solidity and you've never asked Him to come into your life. Anybody else? Or maybe you've been away for a long time. Brother, amen. Brother, amen. Praise God. I just love this. But in the back again, a number of people. This is, this is what it's about. You're saying, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I need His forgiveness and I need His life. Anybody else? Okay, I, I, it may be that you raise your hand I can't see it. Oh, brother, amen. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Okay, over there. I'm not going to stop as long as this keeps on happening. We have more people. Praise God. In the front here, brother, the Lord loves you so much. Over here, oh, one away over here, the little boy, praise God. You want Jesus into your life. You want Jesus into your life. He made it so simple because He wants everybody in. Okay, I want us to pray uh, with, with these folks. If you raised your hand, or if you want to accept the Lord and you didn't raise your hand, whether I saw it or not, uh, pray this prayer with me, but pray from the depths of your heart. And I'd like us all to pray it with them as a source of support, but pray it like a wedding vow. You mean it. Dear Jesus... I thank you for loving me when I was a sinner. I know I need your forgiveness. And I know that you died for me. So I ask you right now to forgive me, to cleanse me, to wash me, and to live in me. Put your treasure inside of me. I surrender everything over to you right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to the kingdom, all you who raised your hands. Welcome. Praise God. Woo! Yes. Yes. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. The Lord that so delights the heart of God. Which just shows you, believers. 
See, I, this wasn't a believe in Jesus and life will be wonderful kind of a sermon, was it? We don't need to sell anything. We just have to be real. That's all. Praise God and God uses it. The second issue for you to think about as the prayer team comes forward is this. Are you going through a funk or maybe you're relating to someone who's going through a funk and if you'd like to have some time in prayer, I encourage you to come forward and you can kneel at the altar here or we have some folks who will be willing to spend some time in prayer with you. I encourage you to do that. Let's go out with this, with this benediction. Father, in Jesus' name, as we leave this place, love the world through us. Expand our hearts towards everyone we see on the road, in our neighborhood, on our job, in our family. Lord, give us your love that the one distinctive trait that everyone would see is that Jesus loves through us, Lord, as we go out into a world that desperately needs to see this. In your love we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Lord loves you. The altar is open.